1: If you read anything by Spurgeon or Susie, uh, you will soon find yourself looking into the eyes of Christ as revealed in the Bible. So that being the big spiritual component of their marriage, and then just the way they talk to each other, the communication.
0: We'll talk about the untold love story of Charles and Susie Spurgeon on this edition of First Person. Welcome, I'm Wayne Shepherd. We know much about the ministry of Charles Spurgeon, but how does his marriage to Susanna serve as an example today? More on that in a few moments with our guest. These weekly interviews introduce us to people, past and present, who share faith in Christ and a goal of serving God with their lives. Over the years, we've interviewed hundreds of guests who've told remarkable stories. All of them are archived at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. Click on the red listen button and scroll through the list at firstpersoninterview.com. And we're also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash firstpersoninterview. Ray Rhodes is a pastor in Georgia. His doctoral thesis at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary focused on the marriage and spirituality of Charles and Susie Spurgeon, and it became a book called Yours Till Heaven. I spoke with Ray online about his book, which focuses on Susie, but we began by mentioning her famous husband.
1: Uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, was born in 1834, died in 1892 became one of the uh, most famous preachers in the world of his day, and now one of the most famous preachers in all of Christian
0: history. Yeah, he certainly is quoted by just about every pastor out there, isn't he?
1: (laughs) He is. I think he's probably the most tweeted uh, pastor from the past as well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He would be scratching his head about that, but uh, we won't go there right now. All right. (laughs) So um, he was a a very humble man from humble beginnings. Uh, He was a country boy, wasn't he?
1: He was. His, uh, his parents were from rural England, as was his grandparents, and uh, that's was, was his life until age 19 when he moved to
0: London. Okay. But we are going to talk about the man, Charles Spurgeon, but we're going to talk even more about his wife, uh, Susie Spurgeon. You call her Susie.
1: Yeah, she signed a lot of her correspondence, uh, Susie, uh, and uh, that's just the way she was affectionately known by Charles. He had lots of sweet names for her. Uh, but Susanna is the way most people know her today. But mm-hmm. as I found uh, some of her, the way she signed correspondence, I said, well, that'll make a great, catchy title for the book. And it really <laughs> brings her down uh, to earth. Yeah. Because the Spurgeons tend to be uh, uh, sort of out there almost like museum pieces to many readers today. And I really mm-hmm. wanted to present both Charles and Susie as uh, real life people, not. Not some sort of uh, monument people. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, that's why I contacted you. From time to time, we like to dive into history a little bit and to tell some of these uh, stories of saints of the past and what we can learn from them. So I'm looking forward to learning from both Charles and Susanna Spurgeon here on the program today. You've written that biography entitled Susie. Uh, We were talking before we started recording that it's one of, it's a very rare biography of her, correct?
1: That's right. There was a small biography in 1903 uh, by Charles Ray, and there's been some biographical sketches of her, but no full biography until uh, 2018 with this one, Susie, The Life and Legacy
0: of Susanna Spurgeon. Okay. Then how did, and why did you get interested?
1: Yeah, I went back to school late in life uh, to the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and I did my doctoral work there and, and wanted to write on Spurgeon for my doctoral thesis. And as I was considering angles that uh, no one had tackled, I uh, looked into his marriage and discovered a fascinating woman. That was not she was not the specific topic uh, only of my thesis, but that introduced me to her in ways I I had known before. I think a lot of people knew that Spurgeon was married to Susanna. That she was sickly, and she gave away books to poor pastors. But that's all I knew. Hmm. And the more I discovered, the more excited I got about her. And then I wanted to write about her as well.
0: Okay. Well, then let's focus on her. Take a few minutes and introduce us to her and her background and how she came to faith. And just let's let's get to know this woman.
1: Yes, she was two and a half years older than Charles. She was born in eighteen thirty-two. Victoria came to the throne just a few years later. And uh, Susie died uh, in 1903, Victoria in 1901. So kind of give you a little context, Susie was Victorian from the beginning to the end uh, of her life. Uh, She was born in London, whereas, as as we mentioned, Charles in rural area, and uh, she grew up in a, a, uh, a home where her mother was the prominent influence, as well as some extended family members. She didn't really come to faith in Christ until maybe she was 20 years old. Uh, She was around preaching, she heard preaching, but for whatever reason, she didn't uh, understand or her heart was not open to the gospel until then, and that's before she met Spurgeon. But almost immediately, she describes herself as uh, almost in a backslidden situation. Uh, she uh, didn't confess her faith to anyone else. She kept it inside of herself, and she languished spiritually until about the time she met Spurgeon, and uh, he uh, became a counselor to her, and and uh, she began growing spiritually and became really a giant in the faith.
0: How did they meet?
1: Yeah, uh, interesting story. Uh, Spurgeon was uh, pastoring in Water Beach, which is around Cambridge, uh, just north of Cambridge, a little village. And his fame was uh, was uh, growing there. The church had about 40 people when he arrived 400 later uh, when he's 19 years old. And the church in London got wind of him and invited him down just to be a guest preacher. This had been the New Park Street Chapel, as it was called. It had been the most famous Baptist church uh, in all of England. Uh, but it had fallen in the hard times, and they needed a pastor. And uh, they heard Spurgeon on December the eighteenth, eighteen fifty-three. Susie heard him the evening service for the first time. She was unimpressed with him. Uh, nothing about him—the you know, way he talked, the way he looked. She even <laughs> describes he <laughs> was almost comical to her. She well, was she, she was
0: and, a city girl, and he was—he was a country bumpkin, huh?
1: He was, and he, and he looked the part. Uh, so she didn't you, she didn't understand why the, a lot of the church was excited about him. But they asked him to come back, and back again. And in April of eighteen fifty-four, he got wind that she was struggling in her spiritual life, and he sent her a copy of John Bunyan's *The Pilgrim's Progress*. Oh. Uh, around that time, he is becoming the pastor of the church, formally and officially. She was pretty moved by that and uh, felt that she could open up to him, and that's where their discussions began. But she met him in the home of a a church member she was kin to, uh, the Thomas Olney family, and Spurgeon was in that home a lot as well because that was the prominent family in the church. As the new pastor, he would have been there quite a bit.
0: So they didn't um, exactly—it wasn't exactly love at first sight for her. How about for him?
1: Uh, there's no indication. And it's an interesting story because, again, just a few months early, December, she is both, he, he's comical and and she's offended by him. And in a, April, he sends her the book and uh, no indication at all of any romantic feelings. In June, they attend with a church group, not a date or anything, just a group of people from the church go to the grand reopening of the Crystal Palace which is this huge building of, of metal and glass, and it uh, displayed the the great inventions mm-hmm. of the world, really focused on England and London.
0: Yeah, it was a major event there, wasn't it? it?
1: It was, it was. And so they were sitting there, and Spurgeon always had a book with him, at least one, and he opened up to a section on marriage, and he points out a passage to her, and he asked her if she prays for the one who is to be her husband. Well, uh, we may not make that connection, but she knew exactly what he was <laughs> saying. And then, uh, you know, he was, uh, he's quite clever. He asked her if she would take a walk with him. And they left the group and walked around the palace. They walked outside down to the lake. And she describes in the autobiography that love was in the air at that point, And she was very excited about him. So quite a change in just a few months. And two months later, they're engaged okay. in August.
0: So Well, I mentioned your biography, Susie, about Susanna Spurgeon. But you've also written a book that got my attention, first of all, I, before I even knew about Susie. Uh, your book, Yours Till Heaven, The Untold Love Story of Charles and Susie Spurgeon. Uh, Someone said that this is not a sappy romance novel, but the real story of a couple living out their lives as witnesses for Christ. Uh, Obviously, that's what you set out to do. You wanted to tell the real story of this couple.
1: I I did. Uh, Again, many of us admire Spurgeon. I do. I have for quite a long time. Uh, But we don't really, I don't think we see him as we ought Uh, feet of clay, a man like uh, we are, a real life uh, person. And I wanted to get to know Spurgeon the man. And one of the best ways to do that is to look inside of his home. And uh, to see how he related to Susie, his wife and, and all of that. So uh, yeah, that was and, and this story had never been told before, uh, the story of their okay. romance. And so I, I found it fascinating. It was a very spiritual and loving and even very romantic uh, love story.
0: Did their marriage produce children?
1: Two children born in the first year of their marriage, uh, and Thomas and Charles, twin, twin boys. And that's the only children. And, and I think the reason they didn't have more children is because Susie's uh, affliction was connected to uh, some, some f- f- uh, female uh-huh. issue. She had surgery by a gynecologist uh, about eight years after they're married or 10 years.
0: Besides the obvious, did that affect her life and living daily in any way?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of evidence of her being that sick uh, until, you know, they're married in 1856. Uh, By 1868, she says her traveling days are over. She's homebound. And she has surgery in uh, late 1868, 1869, and she is essentially an invalid for the rest of her life uh, with some uh, some interludes there, the Lord giving her strength to get out and about. So, And Charles is also sick, and the nature of his sickness is he has to go south to warmer weather often. The nature of her illness, she can't leave home. And so that creates other challenges. They're separated a lot more from 1868 onward.
0: We're talking with Ray Rhodes about the marriage of Charles and Susanna Spurgeon. We'll continue on First Person in just a moment.
1: I'm Ed Cannon. The Far East Broadcasting Company partners with First Person because we celebrate the stories of people everywhere who have given their lives to Christ and serve Him. Our broadcasters in 50 countries of the world hear stories every day of people whose lives are transformed by the gospel and who have faithfully been taught God's Word. In addition to First Person, I'm pleased that Wayne and I host a podcast, and we invite you to join us. Listen to Until All Have
0: Heard at febc.org. That's febc.org. My guest is Ray Rhodes, Jr., the author of Yours Till Heaven, the Untold Love Story of Charles and Susie Spurgeon, and the biography of Susanna Spurgeon. Susie, uh, we'll put information about those books in our program notes at firstpersoninterview.com. Uh, Ray, you're a local pastor. Tell me about the church you pastor, where it is, and something about the ministry there.
1: Yeah, I'm a pastor of Grace Community Church in Dawsonville, Georgia, which is about an hour due north of Atlanta. We planted this church uh, about 15 or 16 years ago from scratch, and uh, the Lord is uh, blessed and the church is growing. It's a sweet church. We focus on uh, biblical exposition and prayer and trying to live out the one-anothers of Scripture. Glad
0: for your ministry there. All right, let's focus on this marriage, uh, the Spurgeons. Um, it's been said that, uh, you know, all couples go through challenges in life, and they were no exception to that, were they? We we can learn from them, though. That's, uh, that's the lesson of this book, I think.
1: It is. You know, if we sort of, uh, as, as a pastor, if I set out to become Charles Spurgeon, I'll be frustrated <laughs> uh, hour one. He was just an unusual figure in church history, but we can learn from them. Uh, principles of, and you mentioned their difficulty and suffering, That's one of the great ways we can learn from them, because both of them suffered physically. Charles also suffered emotionally with depression, and they suffered from being separated, uh, both due to his uh, ministry and also due to their sicknesses Mm -hmm. as well. So, yes, how did they handle that? How did they face that? Yeah, well, let's
0: talk about it. Give give us a little more detail on uh, how they did handle it and what part their faith played in that.
1: Yeah, uh, chapter two in the new book, uh, Your Soul Heaven, I deal with their spirituality, and it was really the centerpiece and the foundation for how they uh, live their lives. I mean, Spurgeon said, you know, Christ is the Son. He's the center of all things. Everything else revolves around Him, and that was true in their marriage as well. Neither of them would have ever wanted to put one another above Christ, And that is reflected in their daily disciplines from a Bible reading uh, and prayer individually and together. Spurgeon was uh, faithful in family worship. You know, typically in Spurgeon's song would have been family worship uh, at least once a day, often twice a day. And when he's traveling, she would lead that. So both of them read the scripture, they were faithful in prayer, family worship, read devotional classics, uh, and uh, Mm -hmm. church Mm -hmm. as well.
0: Uh, he, of course, became the most famous preacher of his era. Um, how did she handle that fame and the demands of being that pastor's wife?
1: Yes, yeah, she never uh, could, could have envisioned uh, what, uh, when she accepted his proposal to engagement in August of 1854. Uh, she said that. She said, I, I knew he was a great man. I, I didn't know how great he would become. Uh, so she made a commitment, though. During their engagement, It was it was obvious to her that uh, he was sought after, thousands flocked to hear him, even by that short period of time he'd been in mm-hmm. London. And she made a commitment, uh, really by her, her mother helping her never to hinder him in any way from his public ministry, even sickness. And she didn't do that with her arms twisted or under any sort of uh, uh, persuade, uh, uh, pressure. She did that because she loved him, and she believed in the gospel, and she wanted to set him free. And so Spurgeon always knew when he was on the road, though he missed her, that he didn't uh, have a wife at home who was sulking and upset with him and mad, but uh, she was lonely. He was lonely for her. Their letters revealed that. He knew he had a a faithful supporter in Susie, and she gave herself to support him. And
0: I'm sure you agree, those lessons for us today transcend those Victorian times in which they lived— uh, of course the times were far different for them and yet what you're talking about transcends all of that doesn't it it's something that we can apply today
1: It is and you know uh, in marriage for example it's about it's about uh, putting the other person first and both of them attempted to do that in their own ways and and I think Susie's sacrifice is really uh, moving and encouraging and challenging. It's. I don't think we have Charles Spurgeon as we have him today, and he's still uh, widely read and studied. Mm. If he's not married to Susie, uh, she she gave him in many ways yeah. to
0: us. Yeah. Even though she's a woman living in Victorian times, she uh, did some pretty remarkable things for a woman in those days, and we'll talk about those in a moment. But before that, um, towards the end of life, uh, I I know they spent some time apart, largely because of his health and his depression. Uh, can you address that part of their marriage?
1: Yeah, yeah. Spurgeon had gout, uh, and it was very painful. He described it as putting, you know, your your arm or leg in a vice and turning it as tight as you can, and then turning it ten times mm-hmm. tighter. The pain was excruciating, uh, and uh, and he did suffer from depression. Part of that, the first year of their marriage it was a great tragedy. Uh, seven people were trampled to death in an event where he was mm-hmm. preaching. Others were hospitalized, a panic ensued there, and uh, Spurgeon never got over that. Uh, But he was a cheerful man, so sometimes I think we get the wrong idea of him as well. He was this uh, uh, always depressed and sad guy, but he was a very funny man, very humorous guy. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Given that dichotomy, wouldn't you love to be able to sit down with Spurgeon and Susie, for that matter, and just talk with them about uh, about how they handled all that?
1: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And what Spurgeon did is he he drew near to Christ, and he, and he drew near to Susie during those times. She describes finding him weeping, and he would not know why he was weeping. Uh, and she would read to him, and she would cry with him, she said, uh, simply because she loved him, and she wanted to identify with him like that. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: So is there any one particular letter that stands out to you that, that just had one of those tender moments that you can recall right now?
1: Yeah, I think of a one letter early in their relationship when Spurgeon's boarding a train. He's in fact, the book was uh, titled in part out of this letter. He signs it you are still heaven, but uh, he writes to her. He's on the train. he has been gone just a little while. And he he says to her, uh, I'm daydreaming of you. Even though we've uh, we've only been apart for a, uh, an hour uh, or so, <laughs> and to think of the great Spurgeon, the author of uh, you know sixty three volumes of sermons, one hundred and thirty five <laughs> books, the 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 pastor of this huge church, saying those kinds of words, and he did that frequently mm-hmm. to her, uh, those sort of romantic uh, letters, uh, very nice. sweet, yeah. very sweet. But I, I'm daydreaming yeah, of you. That,
0: that's very nice. <laughs> All right. Well. Uh, In addition to supporting her husband in every way that you've discussed here and being a pastor's wife and all of that, she did some remarkable things on her own. Um, Where did this idea come for her to supply books to poor pastors? Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, and and there were many, many poor pastors across the British Isles in those days. In 1875, Spurgeon released volume one of his uh, what would be a three-volume set, Lectures to My Students. It's still published today, usually in one volume, and he gave Susie a proof copy, asked her what she thought of it. She loved it, and she said, I wish we could give a copy of this to every pastor in England. Well, Spurgeon turned it around on her and challenged her, well, Susie, why don't you make that happen? <laughs> and she, well, like many of us, she thought it was a good idea. She didn't know that she would be uh, the one uh, implementing mm-hmm. it, but she did. She uh, had some money saved. She was able to buy 100 copies. Uh, to start with, the letters started pouring in. Before she died in 1903, she had given away 200,000 uh, books to poor pastors. Wow.
0: So she continued that after he died. She did.
1: And it continued even after she died. And it still shows up in uh, with folks who are using her as an example today. There's a, a ministry out of Virginia now called the Susanna Project, oh. and it's built on her book ministry.
0: I did not know that.
1: And that led her into pastors' homes. She found out the situation of their wives and children. She would supply clothing and other supplies, stationery, uh, money even at times. uh, Because they were, I mean, they were very poor. They couldn't afford books. And she believed that if she invested books in these pastors – they would be better, their churches would be stronger, the gospel would go further if uh, they had that sort of encouragement. And So she really wrapped her arms around pastors and their families.
0: Well, Ray, your book is published by Moody Publishers, which leads me to ask, uh, of course, uh, the Spurgeons were contemporaries of D.L. Moody. And, of course, they knew each other and uh, ministered together, didn't they? Any any, uh, stories of Susanna Spurgeon and Moody at all that you uncovered?
1: Yeah, they were very... uh, they were very good friends. and after after uh, Spurgeon died, Susanna sent Deal Moody, uh, one of Spurgeon's primary Bibles that oh. he used, and uh, that was very moving to him. I was, Moody was in awe of Spurgeon. Uh, in fact, Spurgeon had to eventually convince him to preach. He felt so unworthy of preaching Spurgeon's tabernacle. Eventually, Spurgeon did get him to preach for him. and Spurgeon also preached at some of the Moody Crusades, yeah. but they were they were dearest of friends. Well, I
0: find this history fascinating. They really do, and I appreciate your time. but, when you think of the marriage of uh, Charles and Susie Spurgeon, what's going to live in your, your heart? What What's the main thing to take away from their marriage together?
1: Yeah, it's the Christ-centeredness, that both of them were all about Jesus. And if you read anything by Spurgeon or Susie, uh, you will soon find yourself looking into the eyes of Christ as revealed in the Bible, uh, viewing and admiring the the beauty of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that being the the big spiritual component of their marriage, and then just the way they talk to each other, communication. You know, we've got every you know Wayne, we've got every kind of communicative uh, tool today. Spurgeon wrote her a letter every day he was gone. Every day. Uh, With a dip pen, (laughs) Uh, so and she wrote back as well, not not as uh, prolifically as Spurgeon, but the way they communicated—that's a big takeaway for me—is it's a creative communication it's God-centered communication, it's humorous communication, and then sometimes he would say, Susie, pray for me. I just feel like I'm not as warm towards the Lord as I once was. I mean, think, very honest communication. He'd also sketch on his letters from time to time, things he had seen, funny things. He'd draw a little sketch, put it in the letter, meld her a letter in a biscuit can one time. It was just very <laughs> uh, creative. So, uh, yeah, their Christ-centeredness and their communi- the way they communicated,
0: I think, are two big takeaways the untold love story of Charles and Susie Spurgeon. Ray Rhodes' book is titled Yours Till Heaven. You'll find a link to the book at firstpersoninterview.com. And to visit our Facebook page, go to facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. Our archive of interviews grows each week, and you're invited to explore our past programs either at firstpersoninterview.com or by using the download feature on our free smartphone app. Look for the app First Person Interview in your app store. I'm grateful to our broadcast partner who makes First Person possible, the Far East Broadcasting Company. FEBC takes Christ to the world through radio and new technology, and millions respond after hearing God's Word, many for the first time. Show your thanks for First Person by supporting FEBC, and listen to the podcast until all have heard at febc.org. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thank you for listening to First Person.